1: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another roundup of Bell Curve. You got. Uh, I'm still thinking about when you told me about my podcast voice. Michael's one and two. Yeah, no advance, <laughs> guys.
0: <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here, Mike. Good to be here. Mid, mid, yeah, midsummer, Mike, over here with your Florida shirt. Ready to? I'm in Florida. Well, you're you're in Florida.
1: Yeah, it's actually he's been on the show. It's miles. It's uh, it's miles thirtieth. So, I am down here. This is like the year of all my, my entire friend group is turning 30. So they are like five 30th birthdays in various places. So,
2: I was, I'm in, I'm uh, talk- I, Vance and I were at a wedding this weekend. I've we got another one this upcoming weekend and one the weekend after. It's my, wedding
3: season. Michael did, what, what was it, 13 weddings, 14 right. weddings last year? Oh, 11 weddings last year.
1: Damn.
3: Sounds like what, the beginning the, of, world, of oh, world any, the world. That he's invited to. I've told all of my friends that I am only showing up to one of their weddings, so you better make it count. I choose. It'd be really <laughs> one of your friends was like didn't invite you to the first wedding, expecting you know the second. I'm not coming to the second then. Yeah. One and done. You get one. You better be really sure. Yeah, seriously. I, like, I don't have that many weekends in a year. I feel you. I was just talking this about
1: like it's. I was just talking to this guy, and he's like, "Oh, is it going to be a crazy weekend?" I was like, "Yeah, we're not going super wild." He's like. After thirty, it's not called going wild; it's called going mild. So that's what we're doing this weekend: go miles. Yeah,
3: boys in the hot tub, classic. Boys, stuff. boys in the hot, no girls allowed, baby. No girls allowed. Good chicks, fellas. I to bring chicks. That's too nice. Nice soak. <laughs> nice soaking stuff. <laughs> right, I mean, I'm enjoying my thirties more than my twenties. Just you know, just to put it out there, it's a chill of that. That was my suspicion too. Seems like thirties. That's
0: a good age to be. Early's hype. Early 30s? Yeah, real hype. Are you two sub-30 or over 30? Sub-30. Sub-30. Wow. Get ready. We're right there, though. I'm
1: 29. Oh, so yeah.
3: We're pushing yeah, up against it. Can we talk yeah, some crypto?
1: Yeah, before we paint a too vivid of a picture with the hot tub here, let's get into crypto a little bit. Um we do so? We've got predictions? Yeah, let's do some predictions because yeah. I think Coinbase earnings are actually going to come out during during this, this uh this recording. So, just to just to refresh people a little bit, maybe I'll actually share my my screen. One sec. check. Um, just so we can recap how Coinbase did over the course of last year. So, they break out basically. They've got two buckets with different subgroups underneath, but they've got transaction revenue and they've got subscription and services revenue. Obviously, transaction revenue is the bulk of their business, but Wall Street cares a lot about subscription and services because. A general perception is transaction revenue is going to trend down towards zero over time. So they really want to grow that subscription services part of their revenue. Within transaction revenue, they break it out in between consumer and institutional. The consumer bucket is much larger just because of the amount of fees. You know, it's kind of an unspoken thing. I guess it's spoken, but the fees that consumers get charged are much, much higher. Retail uh, gets charged much higher fees on Coinbase than the institu- in the institutional part of their client base and then for subscription and services they break it out between blockchain rewards which is staking basically custodial fee revenue interest income which is generated largely based on their partnership with circle the center consortium and then other subscription and services which is kind of just a hodgepodge of different bets it's kind of like coinbase one things like that so and then and and then i guess this is if you look at it in terms of their profitability so there's net revenue uh income and adjusted EBITDA and I was, I was going back, and uh, Brian guided towards. There's a there's a change in philosophy at Coinbase, which is they basically had a goal to make all their money during bull markets, and they were going to break even during these sorts of bear periods. That has changed now, and they have since guided that they want to be profitable in all market conditions. Although the CFO did walk it back a little and say, "Well." We're not committing to that in 2023. We want to see absolute growth in EBITDA. So, classic, the CFO kind of walking it back a little. I'd be, I'd be curious. Um, I have some specific thoughts, but I'd, I would love to get your guys' thoughts on hey, what are you thinking about for for Q1? How do you I, think it's going to look?
0: I think there are a couple of things that that I'm looking at. Like maybe, and we can break it down. So on the revenue side of things, I would, um, I would assume that Q1 revenue will look pretty similar to Q4. Um, but potentially higher, and uh, if you if you look at like I bet the user base has actually shrunk a little bit, and I bet you'll see like downloads of the app, for example, are down. But you have higher ETH prices and higher I mean higher crypto prices across the board with higher interest rates, which I think will drive higher revenue. So like first prediction I would have is higher revenue. Uh, second prediction I would have is on the earnings side. Those are always a little tougher to predict, but I think the, I think it'll look pretty good. Actually, because they had some, bad, I mean, they cut a ton of people. Yeah, huge yeah. layoffs, huge layoffs. And um, I'm, a, I, I don't know, like what percentage of their expenses come from personnel, but you got to assume it's pretty high with like several thousand people and they had huge layoffs. So I bet their earnings will also look pretty good. Um, would have to assume that they have a, do a lot of talk about like regu- regulatory pressure, both on yeah. the staking products side of things and then their their wells notice. Um, and I, I bet that'll be like the main focus of this. And then uh, one interesting thing that I bet like Main Main Street or Wall Street like won't really talk about is um, the new sources of revenue, but I'd be curious to see how they start talking about like their international futures markets, um, how they start like providing guidance around the L2, around base. Like that's what I think will actually be the most interesting aspect of this um, that probably Wall Street will skip over. So those are my high level predictions. <laughs>
2: Totally agree with all those. I would say in addition, just like breaking down this chart right here, consumer, I would say is probably going to be pretty similar, if not a bit higher in terms of net revenue from transaction revenue. Institutional, I would imagine is actually going to be pretty far down. Post FTX, I would imagine that a lot of institutions just frankly stopped trading. And I think in Q4, you had a lot of rebalancing and tax loss harvesting that attributed to the 13 million that you see in in that column the one that i think is going to be most interesting which um won't show up in q1 but i think will absolutely be present in q2 and they'll probably talk about it or guide towards it in in the call is the actual blockchain rewards subscriptions and services revenue i think post shanghai a number of you know institutional partners um put eth into uh the the staking program that they had and a lot of that I'd say all of that is probably ETH staking. I'm sure there's some other staking opportunities that exist or persist, but I would imagine that in Q2, that's going to jump the most. Um, So whether or not they talk about it, I I don't know, But and it's not going to show up in in Q1 earnings, but blockchain rewards is is the one that I'm tracking the most. Michael, real quick, I
1: completely agree with you on the blockchain rewards and those are denominated, those staking revenues are denominated in ETH. So even if they basically stay constant, the price appreciation is going to, do very well for that particular line item i would push back maybe a little bit on the institutional uh part of your observation because i mean maybe just a, a question to you obviously crypto has done super well year to date who do you think has been buying do you think that's been institutional
2: driven or retail driven <clears throat> i would say it's probably more retail than institutional um but i think a lot of i, I guess the comparison that i have well, the comparison that I have is from Q4 to Q1, and I think a lot of the institutions were tax loss harvesting at the end of last year, and so that's where a lot of that activity was driven from. There has been, you know, price appreciation in January, and and I, that was probably a lot of institutions rebuying. So maybe this is flat. Maybe this is maybe it's even up. I don't know, but I, I do think that institutional relative to consumer isn't going to grow as much.
1: Yeah, you might be right.
2: There was there was um I actually
1: I went back and sort of skimmed the analyst notes from from Q4 and there there actually was a disclosure there that there was a an inbound in interest on the institutional side for Prime so they were onboarding a whole bunch of customers in Q4. Um, they did kind of walk that back though and say you know typically the this sort of relative balance between you know re- the retail and institutional part of their business doesn't change all that much, but I don't know I could. I'm not really sure. I, I I don't really think retail is back in
2: this market yet. I I, I feel like You're they're not. I agree. You're I not. I completely agree with that. The one the one thing that I will say is that in Q4, late Q4, or maybe it was Q1, they did switch everybody over from Pro, who was a consumer, from Pro to uh, advanced trading, and so there have been some product updates that I I personally have found to be uh, on a, on the uh, consumer side to be really beneficial. That's kind of what I'm basing. In terms of you know where this activity is coming from relative to the institutional side um anecdotally also just like institutions were not very active in q1 because they were trying to pick up the pieces of what happened after FTX. yeah yeah coinbase has this you know jason
1: just in response to your question about about base coinbase has this framework that they used to talk to their analysts into wall street they call it their 70 2010 framework and they say about 70% of our resources and focus is dedicated to our core business. So basically everything that we're talking about, 20% is allocated towards more strategic long-term pursuits. And then 10% is kind of their risk-taking venture type investments within their product portfolio, which I actually think is it's easy to understand and probably a d- pretty decent framework for owning a business. So yeah. I, I kind of agree. That's- I think base is the wild card, but I don't it's kind of, that would be firmly in
2: the 10% bucket. So I doubt it gets much airtime. That, that framework was,
0: um, started by Google in the early 2000s. And it, it was all about, you know, 20% of time or something goes to the end. They, they also work on anything. They
2: also did the, yeah, the 20% time, uh, for the engineers and 70% is how we're going to make money in the next three years. 20% is how we're going to make money in three to five years. And is how we're going to make money after the next five years.
3: I like that. I mean, what, like, I haven't looked too much into Coinbase's financials, but what this tells me is that a, they're not leaving the U S like all of this is basically U S revenue or U S centric, especially on the retail side. And two, you know, like the staking arguments or, or I guess the Wells notice hasn't formally turned into a suit yet, but. They're going to fight that tooth and nail like that's one of their only at least steady revenue segments that has a chance to you know five or ten x so i don't know it it seems like brian is trying to set up a straw man for like you know we're really going to leave if if forced to but at the same time like the math wouldn't bear that out at all like if coinbase left the us if coinbase gave up on staking like i don't know how much of coinbase would really be left just just to reiterate i think i said this a couple weeks ago but like leaving the
2: us doesn't mean they're leaving Like, they're still going to have offices in the U.S. It means, like, the technical headquarters is going to be based somewhere else. But, like, nothing changes. The product is still served to U.S. customers. They still make U.S. money and pay taxes for those U.S. revenues. But it's just that, you know, the technical, like, headquarters would be in London or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess
1: we'll see. I guess the just the last thing is that that interest expense, that's really been carrying their whole services and subscription bucket of revenue. I think it's probably too late. I like I that USDC DPEG, I think that happened in March. And then there's been a draining of right, there's been uh, you know some seven or eight billion dollars worth of market cap that's migrated out of USDC and into Tether. I frankly don't know how to forecast that because I uh, that even that market cap moving to Tether doesn't even necessarily mean that the portion that they generate they generate their interest on is like they, they generate interest that's uh on usdc that's custodied at coinbase so i don't even know if that blip ultimately ends up impacting that but it is worth calling it out because that is the the part of their um, that's the part of the services and subscription everybody that's basically been carrying that whole number and uh, to be fair to be fair to wall street they've questioned that i'm not really sure it deserves to be in there frankly i don't know if interest expenses subscription
3: uh, they're not likely to get more people to put a more principal into it at, at the size that they've been able to historically or B, you know take advantage of the same level of interest rates just like doesn't feel like that's in the cards giving everything that's going on you know with uh, the regional bank I, I guess it's not even a crisis or what like what is, what's the name of it implosion like, kerfuffle like I, don't, like, <laughs> like I feel like that's thing this is totally unrelated but like i feel like there's like this intentional and like michael and i've talked about this before there's this intentional like memory holing or like trying to keep these headlines out of like bloomberg or like new york times or the wall street journal it's like how many banks have blown up at this point and like we're still not allowed to call it a crisis like just completely crazy to me it feels like there's some serious uh just like sheeple hurting going on at least for the mainstream media outlets it does feel interesting like when in 2008, I mean,
0: everyone in the world knew that these banks were blowing up and that everything was collapsing. And today you have like, the size of the banks blowing up is actually much larger. Uh, and I feel like nobody's
3: really talking about it outside of, you know, FinTwit land. Lesson there, there's a lesson there. I mean, the lesson there is that like, it's much worse than anybody is actually telling people. Well, I will say, I mean, to- totally agree with all of that.
2: So far throughout all of this process, there's been exactly zero dollars lost for depositors. Like th- there is an element of like, okay, sure. Shareholders are done. Bondholders are done. You know, the companies themselves are going to massive layoffs, but
3: our, our consumers are here. Nothing to see here. <laughs> it's a liquidity problems, that problem. it's all like probably that at all. Like working.
0: what? Like, I mean, but Michael in 2008, it was the same thing. I mean, the bank, did- Bank accounts were backed by FDIC in 2008 as well.
2: Depositors. Yeah, that's a little bit different because those were investment banks. And like when Lehman Brothers collapsed, there were a lot of clients who lost a lot of
0: money. But yeah. I do think that there's an element. I'm just saying you're, you're, your argument that you're arguing that the because depositors didn't get hurt, then it's not like a big mainstream thing. No, 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 it is. I'm saying I agree. I would say,
2: you know, that being said, so far, nobody has lost money. Also, right now, I don't know. Like, I I saw the list yesterday of the after-hours trading of like ten different regional banks, and PacWest West was at the top of the list, and they were down like sixty percent after hours. Um, So, like, this this isn't stopping yet. But how far can the FDIC go in that stopping? How far, you know, like how how deep are the pockets, right? And is everybody how deep, deep Mike? I didn't We're never going
1: out the FDIC insurance fund was before before all this, and I it's not infinite. It's like $1, oh, 125 billion dollars or something.
2: Exactly. I guess you know what I'm saying is we have staved off depositors losing money so far. I don't think it can go forever. It doesn't look like this is stopping. Something is going to have to give at some point. And the second that depositors start losing money, this is going to be
3: like the biggest news story. I think you know people are going to be talking about. I don't yeah. think any depositors is going to lose any money. I think we're just going to print infinite money and just like, I agree, coming under the rug. Like, I that's see. why we're not allowed to talk about it on the internet or mainstream news. Just like, we need to go to the real sources to get that information. You know what I'm talking about, Michael. Vance, where's your tinfoil? <laughs> <laughs> There's some corners of the internet where the real news is being reported. Yeah, very friend time these days, man. Oh, bro. You don't even want to
0: know. What's, she, what's, on, your, what's on your bookmarks list? <laughs>
3: Let, let's see your open tabs right now. <laughs> there's, some, there's some pretty funny open tabs right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> let's move on. Can we talk about Blur? Yeah. Let's talk about Blur.
0: Blend? Yeah. The ending Blur. Yeah, let's talk about Blur. So
1: Blur, obviously, is the NFT marketplace that launched earlier this year they just announced something called blend which is sort of the next evolution of nft fi it's a peer-to-peer nft marketplace where there's a bunch of i'll just give you my t- i mean there are a bunch of features on it i think there's something that's very hard to gi- digest about it because one of the things that it allows you to do is do buy now pay later for nfts and I, a lot of people have had a very negative reaction to that myself included but think like if you look at the design of this marketplace there are actually some things that are pretty cool about it so basically it's just a it's just a marketplace you know similar sort of to to something like ave where you can deposit um where you can you know lenders can lend to people who want to buy nfts and only put down a small amount of collateral and there's some kind of cool mechanism design about that how that actually works i think notably they don't rely on oracles for price feeds. So because these are individualized loans and it's not peer to pool or something like that uh, individual lenders can set um, basically the interest rate that they're comfortable lending at and the way they get around relying on an oracle is at any given time the lender can essentially trigger a Dutch auction, and wherein another lender can either scoop up uh, the the NFT at a higher interest rate or in the case that no lenders want to step in, they they actually take possession of the collateral. We can dig into that. I think a lot of people have a lot of problems with that and see gamification there. But the, the other thing that I thought was kind of cool about this construction is they assume... I, think, I kind of see this in an evolution in, in crypto market structure where if you have these sort of two-sided marketplaces where you're relying on liquidity... In the very beginnings of like Uniswap, you relied on retail liquidity, you know, for AMMs. And then with Uni v 3 kind of like, well, in order to create a better borrower experience, right, kind of the the demand side of the equation, really, there's more complexity that's needed to provide liquidity. And they were totally okay making that bet. And Blend basically came out and said, we are actually basing this. One of the assumptions in this marketplace working is the existence of more sophisticated lenders who can... And honestly just hearing them say that i was like that's probably the right assumption i'm actually not sure that it makes sense for retail writ large to just be market makers can contribute passive liquidity it's hard to be a market maker so this is just kind of me rambling about about this protocol but what,
0: what do you guys what's your guys take on this i love that. i love that blur is out here just launching a buy now pay later thing for nfts what'll <laughs> be in this market like this, Corey <laughs> Market of all time for crypto. They're out here just doing like, oh yeah, buy now, pay. meanwhile, buy now, pay later is like collapsing. Right. <laughs>
3: My first reaction was, you guys should have read the room. <laughs> I, um, aren't they like doing a bunch of volume right now though? They, like they have, yeah. what well, they trading have? volume or lending volume? Let's see.
2: <clears throat>
0: I think one of the so, pumps some NFTs like a seventeen thousand Yeah. No, I mean it's done well. The vol uh, the volumes were I-, I would call it a successful launch. Also, since the launch, like the floors of a couple of yeah, NFTs that have been that are like featured on Blend really popped. Like Azuki's ran up from like fifteen, uh, was, like fourteen or fifteen to like eighteen. Um, and if you if you dig into the data, there's a lot of users buying Azuki's with the buy now pay later. Point. Yep. I
2: I so Mike I I agree with all that. Um, I think the biggest thing in my mind is kind of the only thing that's left in DeFi right now is retail. And like there aren't any institutions that are stepping in and market making things. There aren't any institutions that are like going to be the initial off of liquidity for this ecosystem yet. Maybe it comes back eventually and it, it could be designed for that, um, you know, eventually. But I, I do think that we're kind of in this place of like it's really only like crypto whales and retail players that are in this ecosystem so like building that base of liquidity is going to be hard if they can do it that's going to be great but um yeah i also I, I think the 30 hour dutch auction is tough because what that frankly means is you gotta be like paying attention and that if yeah. that you know
0: goes off the hours you're not that long yeah can i can I tell you why Mike, you've, you've spent a lot more time digging into this than I have, but the reason I didn't like it was actually around their messaging. I think Blur's really smart and like, uh, Pacman smart and stuff. Um, and they've clearly like advanced the institutional NFT like world in a, in a good way and like push competitors in the, in the right direction. But they had the, their tweet thread announcement. Um, there was like one of the tweets is like every, I'm just gonna read it. Every trillion dollar market lies on financialization to scale. NFTs are no different instead of paying 000, 000, 000 a million dollars for house. Buyers put $100,000 down and pay the rest through their mortgage. Without this mechanism, almost no one would be able to afford homes. So he's explaining like the mortgage market. And then, but like, I think that's a pretty dangerous thing to do to compare massive leverage and debt positions on these extremely volatile JPEGs with the purchase of a home. And I think it sets this like dangerous mentality. I think people are going to get wrecked on
3: this. I do agree with that, though. It's just like a matter of whether it makes sense or is sustainable to lever up any asset in an attempt to buy it. So like, you know, buying a house, it sounds very sweet. You know, you have a family, you go buy a house, American dream, whatever. You can do that with commercial real estate, you know, 90% loan to value. Everyone stops coming to the office. You know, all of a sudden the portfolio is zero. So like, you know, is an NFT more like a house or is it more like, you know, commercial real estate? It's probably not similar to either. It's probably just like, internet money with a picture on it
0: well yeah
3: and like i think you know do these things have any fundamental value that's kind of what the entire assumption of levering it up is based on or maybe it doesn't and maybe it's all just mean value and it'll come back and, and it's a good way to speculate but it reminded me a little too much of like so affirm and Afterpay and Klarna
0: are like the yep. main buy now pay later platforms and they absolutely ripped from like 2019 to 2021 um i think there was like 2018 or 2019 there was like two billion in buy now pay later debt uh two years later it increased 10x to like 25 billion and if you look at the marketing of a lot of these buy now pay later programs they were like this is really good for gig workers this is great for young people with poor credit histories this is great for the unbanked and it was like a similar kind of like i didn't like that messaging because you're kind of like preying on those folks um and it ended up completely backfiring for those people and in in reality it was great because of zerp
2: yeah you can get a zero interest loan on a mattress or like you know i i (laughs) i do find it interesting that financialization of pfp nfts particularly right now is what they're going after and and to Vance's point there is no fundamental utility there is no fundamental value we created these things so far and they have value in in a secondary marketplace but it it will lead to some people, you know, overextending and getting burned. And that, frankly, I think is is probably not worth going super headfirst into this ecosystem right now. Um, but maybe there's enough liquidity, maybe there's enough liquidity on the lending side to actually make this work. That that's kind of the thing that I, I keep going back to. Let me just set up the like overall, di- like this kind of a philosophical
1: discussion, like how much financialization is enough financial, like some amount of financialization is okay and good, right? Like to use the, your example, Jason, of like the mortgage, like America had a social contract where they made a decision where owning a house is a good thing. And that's not the case everywhere. Like there are other countries where everyone just rents. We were like, we think it's a good thing to own your home. And basically everyone should lever up and buy their home and that'll be okay. So like we all kind of thought that was good. But then, like, where's the line? Because now it's not small community banks that are lending to, you know, to people in their community. At this rate, there's going to be none of them left. But really what happens is those are more like small distribution centers where these mortgages are originated, they're packaged up, and then they're sold to people in Japan. And it's like, well, maybe that you're, because you have a larger base of people that are willing to buy those mortgages, you get a better price. But is
2: that really a better system? But, it, it, yeah, it's I, a philosophical question. At a certain, I mean, so... The two points coming out of that are, number one, a house is a fundamentally useful asset. Whether or not you live in it or somebody else does, someone's going to be living in it most likely. And number yeah. two, the other reason why homeownership became such a American mainstay is because, overall, the the residential uh, housing market has gone up over the last 50 years, and that became the largest asset for most families. And that, I think, is, you know, if you if you don't own and you rent, like, you, you miss out on that wealth creation possibility, over the last, you know, multiple decades. So I agree, there does need to be some financialization. It's interesting to have it be in this ecosystem. I, I guess maybe the point that I'm trying to make is um, the messaging around it, and comparing it to mortgages is, to Yano's point, is is not something that I, I thought I that was bad.
0: Let me yeah, make one more financial. In my mind, financialization equals good. In my mind, it it unlocks a bunch of opportunities, and that's fine. And like, if you think that NFTs are just like. Are you either think that nfts are just tokens of pictures in which case like yeah you should financialize these tokens and then on the other side like you think that nfts are this really valuable thing that like creator in which case yeah financialization is also good it was the messaging and um right. it wasn't just that messaging too it was actually like there's this strategy that they did that i thought was like also not great where you can um they're incentivizing loans on the platform through these things called lending points that where, where the more lending points that you get, the more the more of a the next airdrop you get, and in the mortgage land, which were like if you just keep going with that analogy, there's this thing called Reg N, Regulation N, that um, it's known as the like mortgages acts and practices. It's the mortgage advertising rule basically, and it prevents a bunch of like over over promoting and over advertising uh, and like doing deceptive advertising in mortgages. And to me, when I read this, I'm like, you are incentivizing people to like do more that, than they should mm-hmm. on this platform to farm the next airdrop. job. Oh, I agree with
1: you, but I my understanding of their point system was that they changed around, so they're incentivizing the lenders not the people who want to borrow an NFT, buy now, pay later so they're mm-hmm. incentivizing people to provide liquidity and extend credit to people who want to buy, because so I think they're concerned of everyone, first of all, either gaming like playing some kind of game where you set an unreasonably high you know, um, interest rate and then people default on it. No one wants to pick it up. They scoop it up for a reasonable price and dump it immediately. That's the game that everyone has already outlined. But I think what the, they want to do is they want to provide a liquid market of sophisticated lenders. And those points are pushing people to, you know, not pull out basically and do that. That was my understanding of those points. Mm, okay.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's the same way that they incentivize the trading of NFTs as well, which is you get points or whatever you put out in an offer, not when you buy something.
0: Mike, do you feel comfortable sharing the, um, like what you're explaining to me about the difference between like lending and borrowing on like Aave versus compound versus blur or on blend? Do you- well it was was kind of I mean what I was trying to I think it's the look I I actually agree
1: with everything you guys are saying I just think it's important to provide like some kind of devil's advocate um because I really do think like so I, I like for instance I think being able to buy and sell stocks is good do I think it's great that Robinhood basically pushes people into options because those are the highest margin products and that's what the order flow that Citadel wants to buy I don't think that's good so there's like some there's a bell curve of financialization that i think is basically except you see what i did there
3: yeah but Um, like like i feel like this argument does not actually hold water when you just have like other examples sugar is bad for you should we allow children to drink orange juice probably not but that's like part of a balanced breakfast and also part of like the food pyramid like that's not great every asset class benefits from financialization like why shouldn't crypto like have you seen the terms of auto loans like interest rate interest-only auto loans that, like, jack up and, and refinance to the, to the you know, whatever the, the new interest rate that the de- Fed decides on, like, those are pretty toxic and poisonous. And not only do you have, like, the industry for the loaning of that, you have the industry for the buying of lo- those loans and chopping those up and syndicating those to pension funds. So, like, I don't know. I feel like crypto always gets put in this... Kind of like ideological corner of like, you know, you shouldn't be doing those things. And those arguments just like never hold water if you look at the real world. I i agree with that. I go, and you know what? Even
1: as we're here, because the fundamental question that we're asking is do NFTs have value? And if NFTs have value, I think we would all say, then you should be able to some degree of financialization is,
3: you know, right and good and acceptable. Define though. like does a car? Yeah, well, you? sure. Like I think that's the like place, but like, what if you're like not doing anything with your life, like, and you're just like speculating on this car because you want a cool one? I don't know. I I agree with the
2: analogy, and, and you know, six to eight ounces of orange juice in the morning is is probably healthy for you, but you know, sixty to eighty ounces of orange juice is probably going to give you diabetes. I agree. I think it's kind of everything
1: in in moderation, but. It is because, you know, when we're here sitting and saying, uh, is is it right and good to be able to take out a loan basically to buy an an NFT? We're like, oh, I don't know about that. And sort of making a value judgment there. But none of us question the ability to take out a loan on, say, Ethereum or Bitcoin or something like that. And 99% of the world would say that's completely unacceptable level of risk. And that's not right and good. So do I think the marketing was a little aggressive? Do I think this is probably going to end in tears at some point? Probably. Do I have a philosophical problem with it? No. And the the other thing that we haven't even really talked about is just like close your eyes and imagine it's like a year and a half from now the mul- the bull market is returning. You have two options. You can either buy your NFT at full price, or you can buy now pay later. Mm. It's, I don't. It, our value
2: judgments aside, people are just going to do that. I, or it's just, or yeah. You have two options. You can sell your NFT for some asset for ETH or you can borrow against your NFT to get some liquidity on it. Like these things should exist.
3: It's just a question yeah. of, you know, how pervasive they need to be. You're always going to have people wanting to borrow against any asset that they own. I think the question is like will there be lenders for that requisite, you know, borrow flow. And this actually makes it possible. So, I'm all there for expanding the use cases of crypto. I feel no moral high ground over anybody borrowing or trading or being a degenerate. Like, if you want to do that, go light yourself on fire. I might even lend to you to go do that, but like, you know, it is what it is. I, I don't see the problem. <laughs> Just make sure you got the notifications turned on loud. And yeah. Make sure you got paid your yeah. day. Like, don't like go on a yeah. camping trip after. Yeah. No. I'm. Mean, I, Thirty hours is not that long. I
1: have one more one more question on this before you guys move on. So the way that buy now, pay later works, the monetization scheme in like e-commerce, is I, I don't think it's a Zerp thing, Michael. My understanding of the way it works is actually the you get a 0% APR loan because merchandisers are actually subsidizing yeah. that cost because yeah. the amount, like your average, I forget what the unit is, it's the amount that you spend on one average session or purchase or something like that goes up
2: three or four times. So... Yeah, yeah, but but the but the platforms still have to pay the full price. So like the okay. firms, you know, put the money up and they borrow right. to be able to make that interest-free loan. So that that's ah, more of that. That got
1: it, got it. Um, so my my question to you guys would be: Do you think there is ever a situation where Blend goes to basically charges NFT collections when they do their initial mint or drop or something like that to offer buy now, pay later? Because just look at the impact that it's had on Azuki's and Miladies and Punks. Like, if I were a blend, I would be like, hey, we can, we are, we've got this market of people that are going to offer loans against your NFTs. And that's going to offer, that's going to result clearly in a higher floor price. But we got to get a little something, something. I
3: I think like, the primary asset issuer, issuer uh, facilitating leverage trading effectively of these NFTs is probably a non-starter. I think it's something that you'll see like the cloak and dagger like governance, you know, yeah, we're going to vote this in. We're going to, you know, get it going. And I think it's going to be really good for projects until it's really terrible where there is no way that you can short NFTs right now. This is probably like, you know, theoretically, if I were to go off and, and try to short NFTs, I would probably try to find an NFT perp to short. And then I would try to immediately go off and get at the spot NFT, whatever it, it might be. And like literally in, the, in this, uh, like the hard part about shorting crypto is that like, especially if it's a closely held coin, like you can't make people give you their spot so that you can sell it into the market and, you know, close out your short on the perp. What you have to do is you have to actually like go off and source that and horse trade. And it's extremely difficult. But on this, like you can literally just take people's NFTs. So I think, like, you're going to see these things pump, and then you're going to see someone smart, like the GCR of NFT trading, who knows? Uh, it's, like, a smaller cottage industry, but somebody's going to, like, take a shot at all of these that are, that have all this, you know, potential borrow flow that you can take and use to short. So double-edged sword, to mm-hmm. say the least. Who's going to be the George Soros of NFTs? <laughs> I mean, you're going to make, like, $100 doing this stuff, so, like, maybe yeah. the risk is, like, never going to be worth it, but... Like, I don't know, the the peak valuations of like board API Club and stuff like that, like that would have been extremely juicy. We had some guy in the last cycle approaching us trying to get all the uh, top shot NFT cards so you could short them. It was like this like ranky dank operation, it like didn't end up working. Like this is a- this actually makes it possible, which is pretty scary. The so, NFT we got had a rough year, so you know <laughs> <laughs> They did. They did. But,
1: I don't know. I, I sort of, I, I kind of am with you. I look, I, Jason, I agree with you to just bring it full circle. I think the way that it was marketed, and something even after all this discussion, buy now, pay later for NFTs. I feel pretty confident that retail's not going to be on the winning end of that. But I also think you kind of have to choose. Like, do you want a, a free market where people are allowed to make these decisions, or do you want a market of tradfi where, you know, they, it's regulated. All the way up to here and this is what you're allowed to do versus not and i i kind of maybe there are people out there that have thought in much more detail about me and maybe that's a false trade-off but that's kind of what i think of um
2: always i do think do that whatever they want that's my <coughs> my personal philosophy yeah same i i do think that we're going to see a lot more uh nft X, DeFi financialization opportunities like there's going to be more amms at launch there's going to be you know, fungible tokens that are associated with these collections, that's going to, you know, beget liquidity on these AMMs. Like, we're, we're going to see a lot more financialization of NFTs. And frankly, like, broadly, philosophically, I, I agree with all of that. And yeah, it just depends on how you want to approach it and who you're trying to attract. Yeah. Do you guys want to chat briefly? I know, I think Coinbase
1: earnings is going to come out soon. and I want to check the results, but CRV USd launched this week, which was, which is pretty cool. So I think we covered this a little while ago when we were talking about some of the new, new stables that are getting launched. So I would put go sort of in this bucket, but this is kind of the convergence of a couple of different protocols that started out with separate business models, but are now converging. So I would put MakerDAO in that camp and Aave and Curve, but just to like do a level set on what Curve is and why they're doing this and and how it sort of makes sense is curve is obviously a stablecoin swap, uh, you know, sort of like Uniswap, but instead of, you know, they're kind of volatile assets, they'll only do like stablecoins or pairs of something that are similar in price. So something like Steeth to ETH, and they kind of dominate that pool. And they've been talking about launching a stablecoin for a little while. We're recording this on Friday the 4th, and it looks like the first loan for CRB USD went live. And, the other, the, I guess, the, the two things to note here is it's going to be a revenue driver for them. So yeah, you basically have to borrow, and there's an interest rate that ends up getting paid, which would be pretty good for pro Curve because it's an alternative revenue stream. You could also imagine. I think the reason this sort of makes sense, and one of our analysts, uh, Dan Smith, is super bullish on this, is you can right now. There's kind of there are these uh, stu- it's the the um, I'm blanking on the name the the three pool basically. With USDC, USDT, and DAI, you could imagine a situation where curve basically puts its own stablecoin in there. And what's kind of interesting is there's kind of this similar to Coinbase where there's going to be the race to zero in terms of fees. I think the general sentiment is that there's going to be fee compression in DeFi as well. If you had a pool where CRV was one of the assets that was in that pool, you could drop the fees, the trading fees to zero because you're earning interest income from the borrow of CRV. So it's kind of a way to subsidize going to, going to zero cost. The The other thing that's uh, sort of cool about CRV, this is a little, little wonky, but it's an innovation in the liquidation mechanism. They have something called Llama, which is a little bit of a a new twist on an AMM. So the way that uh, liquidations happen historically is there's an oracle. And once you're you know, your loan to value or whatever crosses over a, a certain threshold, then you basically just get liquidated and some surger understands that and they liquidate and there's a there's a price for doing that. I my general understanding of this and I've only sort of dug in high level is that when you reach a certain like health check or health health threshold, part of your possession gets sold off and it's replaced with curve, the stable coin itself. Which is actually pretty interesting. It's a much better user experience. So you don't just like, you know, tick over a certain threshold and your entire position is liquidated. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool mechanism. So that was a lot of me talking. I don't know how much you guys have dug into this or what your thoughts are on this new wave of stable coins or, or Kirk in general.
0: I typically my I have a really high level view of this, which is that um typically been pretty bearish on these like protocol based stablecoins, coins, but like when like I was kind of uh ragging on Abe's stablecoin go when they were when they announced it. Um but this one, seeing how they've structured it, makes me think that they're just going after Maker and that they're going after die, basically. Um and like if you, I mean I've spent a lot of time at Maker and like it's uh I mean I think uh, Maker I think move on some things and like they've gotten like a little bit stagnant. And, uh, there's some like key people who have left maker recently. And I think curve sees like this huge opportunity to go after maker right now. And that's my like zooming the multi. That's what I would assume is the multi-year vision here is to go after maker.
3: Uh, I think the liquidation mechanism is cool. You are basically warehousing the risk of that liquidation within the curve stablecoin itself, but like it certainly would help. Uh, and it's certainly something that maker doesn't have in the worst case scenario where instead they just start printing yeah. maker. Which is like really like a bad idea. The
0: lending, liquidating AMM thing so that they have. Yeah. That, and it continuously the liquidates and
3: Yeah. But it, it does it piecemeal so that you don't have like, you know, hey, maker liquidators, like everyone wake up. Like there's a 400,000, you know, eat slug hitting the market. Like, is anybody prepared to bid? And frankly, when all that stuff was happening last year around like, uh, I think bad ones were in June, the liquidations. Like seeing those come down the pike of like you know there's a hundred thousand youth about it's just like how is the system going to deal with this in a time where there is very little tradfi liquidity very little you know retail liquidity whatever but it did work perfectly frankly there was on another black tuesday or whatever that incident was um, that's that's because we had uh someone on the oracles uh putting the thumb on the scale i don't know if you remember that yeah i, I do remember that there was uh yeah there were some fortunate oracle delays um but like not having that is good. I just kind of wonder like, you know, curve is now emitted a lot of its own token. There's not like a ton of rewards go around. Like a lot of them are already being claimed by like the people who are doing the curve gauge farming, like how do you bootstrap, you know, from zero to, I think maker has. What what's like maker's TVL 7 billion or something. 3, five, billion. 5 billion? Two of that's, you know, USDC probably three of billion of that is ETH. Like how do you actually meaningfully take share? The reason that Michael and I still use Maker is because, like, we know that it's battle tested. I don't. I don't think the the appetite to put large amounts of ETH into new code bases is super high right now. So I think that's kind of my question is like, how impactful is this really? But yeah, I mean, the the Curve team is is smart. It, you know, if nothing else, like they'll they'll figure out a way to to game it effectively. To- totally agree with all of that. I think the only kind of
2: perspective that I would include. Um, this past week we've spent uh, some time with um, some regulators and talking to them about you know what their priorities are especially from a crypto perspective for the next six months I think the, the sentiment coming out of those conversations is there's going to be a bill that includes and, and mostly features stable coins as the, the primary kind of component of the regulation I, I'm not saying that you know I actually agree with you know this is an interesting model. The new liquidation methods are, are awesome. It's going to be really difficult for a decentralized stablecoin, I think, to integrate into a legal framework in the US going forward. And so when we're talking about how do you break through, how do you get to the size of Maker, Maker already has the, distri- the, the distribution to be able to have DAI in all the places that it already has it integrated, you know, like Coinbase or any other centralized um, you know, providers. It's just going to be an uphill battle, I think. After this bill gets released, and I think the text is going to get released in the next couple of months, um, it's it it will be difficult, I think, uh, to be able to compete with some of the more centralized stablecoins, unfortunately. But that that's kind of the point stable broad stablecoin perspective that you know, became more apparent this week.
0: Yeah, I have a question. This is a little in in the
1: weeds of of Curve and their whole tokenomics and everything, but you know, I think. People initially sort of got excited by this because kind of what I was mentioning before, it's a way to subsidize uh, fees on some of their some of their pools and I think people generally agree it's going to be a race to the bottom. The question that I have for you though is sort of curves tokenomics are sort of like Bitcoin in that you sort of need the number to go up. Like they they are they live and die by liquidity and the way that they direct liquidity to their pools is by emissions. And what they don't, they have a, just like Bitcoin, they have a deflationary supply schedule. I think it's like every year, it's like 15% lower. So they want to have basically a constant amount of, you know, dollar denominated value that they can use to incentivize liquidity into different pools. And so they, that's why the, the gauge and the lock rate, that VE vote escrow mechanism is super important because they want to incentivize people to lock that curve up and not to go and sell it onto the open market. I... I feel like if they have their own sort of horse in that race, then doesn't that, I feel like that takes away an enormous incentive for other people to lock their curve. I, I'm sure, I'm sure, this is a really smart team. I'm sure they've thought about this, but I feel like it does risk destroying the golden goose kind of, or the
2: the long game that they're playing. So I don't know if you guys have thought about that. Well, uh, the, the thing that I have thought about independent of this uh, launch is, you know, Curve launched what when was it August 2020, and uh, if you remember the the largest lock at the time, which gave you the most vote escrow curve, was four years. So we're we're coming up on a year left of where I would assume most people put their locks, and so not only is it going to be hard because you've got you know less uh, supply and less incentives, and number has to go up for you know th- those incentives to stay, you're going to have a lot of unlocking of the token itself in in not like that long of a time. So it's
3: going to be really interesting to see how that plays out as well. There's a lot of those cases, like not just, not just Curve either. Like if you look at Arbitrum, if you look at Optimism, like there's going to be multi-billion dollar unlocks kind of like by early 2024. I think a lot of these are, are running towards product market fit and like token economics that make sense before those unlocks hit. And, And frankly, like my expectations of where the market is going. I think that a lot of these things might peak before the cycle itself peaks. Like you're you're kind of early at this point if yeah. you know, your unlocks are coming in six months and you don't have things figured out. Like that's how I would at least uh kind of think about it. Yeah. They're a smart team. I really like the stuff they ship
1: and generally how they think about stuff. So Yeah. No? Yeah, that's cool. I don't know. All right, what do you guys want to has uh has coin have earnings come out yet for Coinbase oh, I was just, just checking I haven't seen anything maybe we could talk a little bit about um, I mean I know we've talked about this before but sort of in more degen sort of land here we've got uh, Pepe Coin, which <laughs> depending on I guess how you're allocated is the gift that get, keeps on giving or it's like the bane of your existence but that thing just keeps running I think
0: the market cap on it is 700 million or something right now last time I checked and the market wants things to rip right now it's just people wow. people want it people want it that's what I take crazy yeah
1: that's nuts it's really it's done a lot more than I thought it was it was going to for sure we talked about that being an indicator I'm curious
3: like do you view that as just kind of noise and the markets do what's gonna do? do you take no, anything away from that not at all no you need to read deeply into that stuff even though it seems so silly and
0: Man yeah, says you got to pull up your fortune account you got yeah. right here <laughs> you gotta
3: I mean, look would this would this have happened in q4 of last year absolutely no. not. no q3 yeah. probably not q2 certainly not like it's been a year since this i was, i was gonna say i don't know if post luna this happens in 2022 at all totally and like you're seeing these big lst farms you're seeing these like l1 you know meme coins and like there's also a reason why you don't see this on any other chain. ETH is the only chain with enough liquidity for this to possibly happen. Um, And, like, look at the burn. Today is 8,000 ETH burned. You you got 10K spent on uh, ETH transaction fees overall today. Like, you're probably looking at a scenario where if we get back to, like, four or 5,000, we're going to be breaking all-time high fee revenues pretty easily by, like, the start of the run. And so, like you know, people are starting to, and it's not just about like the trading volume, people are starting to self-organize into like these little like groups that are searching for $10 million market cap meme coins. And, you know, the hot ball of money is turning itself over and it's going around and round. And like, that's kind of what you need. You need like a sentiment recovery and you need a credit recovery. And we still haven't seen that, but like, we're starting to check the boxes off. And like, I talked to some guy who works at a different fund over the weekend and they're more of a trading fund. And he was like, "Dude, like my dopamine receptors are just so shot. Like I need something to trade, like at all times. Like you know, Pepe has been like really like big for me. It's like <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's really, really yeah. You
3: know, water. You know, water, like you know, take a walk around the block. Um, but I think it's big that people are starting to do this stuff. And even like the NFT five stuff on on Blur and Blend and all that stuff. Like that's great too. And guess what? It's just burning a bunch of ETH." so i'm here yeah. for it also nft5 is only an l one phenomenon just for the record yep so thanks for the comment
2: not to uh not to throw a whole wrench into this uh perspective but one idea that i was contemplating recently is okay so you know the the model is the model where one eight one five five nine you burn eth as opposed to keeping it but we're on track to burn about a million ETH, give or take maybe even more than that over the next year. What if that was distributed back? I mean, it's going to be more, but bad. Two million. Two might, I think two might be too much. We'll see. But what if that one to 2 million ETH was distributed back to stakers that would immediately put the staking rate somewhere in the like high teens, I think based on 15% being staked right now. Um, Kind of an interesting concept of increasing the staking rate uh, instead
3: of you know burning it and having it be deflationary. I, th- I think we're going to see major discussions on this. I, I listen to uh, Anthony Sasanos uh, Daily Guay podcast like basically every day, but uh, he is kind of like a good temperature you know thermometer for like what the ETH core devs are thinking. And he like you know there, he's thrown out a few like different tidbits over over the past like couple months. One is like to what your point is, is like it's 80-20 right now in terms of what gets burnt versus what gets given to stakers. Should it be 20-80? So that was like one interesting one. The second one was a cap on the amount of ETH that's allowed to be staked to maintain a, a minimum APY. So that's another. And then the third is um, like the the formula for the actual inflation is the square root of, I don't know. It's just some math that I, I don't have on, on hand right now, but it's pretty complicated and he, his thought process is like, you know, should that be higher or should it be lower or should the equation be different? It's like the square root of some number, and I'm sure it has mathematical significance, but it doesn't mean anything to me. And so, like, you know, I think those are going to be interesting uh, concepts to go through, especially over time. Because, like, what happens if ETH scales 100x, you know, and, the, and fees don't scale 100x? Like, we're going to need to start making changes. and. Like there's a long roadmap for Ethereum. We're going to be at this for probably next five years, you know, building the protocol, tweaking the economics. I don't, I don't think we've seen the last in terms of like ETH economics and the potential changes to go in there. I
1: have a lot of thoughts on this. I, I did. So one, I don't know if you saw, I forget who screenshotted this, but Hayden Adams responded to that, that, you know, what, basically what should we do if we weren't going to burn it? And a lot of people were discussing what you were talking about Vance, which was she'd redistribute it to to stakers so first thing there's a there's a tax implication there very different tax treatment similar to dividend versus a share buyback something like that would be the analogy but what hayden suggested was we should redistribute that to public goods and oh god i'm not a lover of i'm a strong i'm a hater i mean I heard- and, I, and hayden is so much he, you've done a lot man i i really respect that if it takes in general but i was not a lover of this opinion
2: i think you could do some I, I think
3: you do some, but it's not. It, it can't sides. With sides, not yeah. What is not? the structure? What is his structure? structure? This is the same thing where it's like, oh yeah, the U.S. government should just spend trillions on like random bullshit, and like we should raise taxes on everyone. Just like give people back their money. They're better stewards of it. They know what to I'm do with you. They you don't need me. a nanny state on top of them, being like, oh, don't worry. I actually know what public good funding should be. Because guess what? Some of the times it looks like Rune printing like thirty thousand maker to give to like. Some woke ESG causes. Like, that's not cool. Not in my opinion. Like you also you also don't want these DAOs like fighting the forever war of like, you know, we should make the world a better place through, you know, the taxes we impose on the stakers or holders of these assets. Like these people have literally no clue of what to do. They have no better idea than the US government or anybody walking around on the street. So like why give them the money in general? Yeah.
0: Coinbase earnings. Are we
3: gonna make it? <laughs> I, I think, think I just
1: saw. I didn't get my yeah. hands. Nah, I every, think. What every, happened? Oh, nice. A
3: Revenue beat. Not surprising, given the the volatility in the quarter. I, it, oh, Jesus, Carvana shares jump. I mean, the block did well. Coinbase did well. DoorDash didn't do well. Sorry, block, the block. block. Not the block. Yeah. Shopify way up. Watch yourself,
0: of oh, <laughs> What did uh? Yeah, wait, what what outside of the?
1: So it was a beat on revenue. How they do on um? Trying to find it, it on up? their site. Yeah, I'm trying to find it too.
0: beat on revenue. Little short on trading volume. You yeah, know? Could you share your screen? I just I didn't coin this revenue on Twitter, and I'm scrolling through all the watchers. <laughs> We're at the point of the market where it's only like the watcher group.
2: All right, I got it. I got it. I got it. All right, now Mike gets to share his screen. Here. One sec. I haven't looked at this yet, but I'm going
1: to share. All right. So, I mean, at first glance, this looks a lot better on the... So net revenue came in at $736 million, only a loss of seventy-nine, which is huge and on like you know humanly talk that's amazing I mean there's a huge headcount reduction and it didn't show up immediately because there's severance and stuff that you have to pay but I'm sure some of that
2: well wait so, so sorry go back go back Um, the biggest number there is the adjusted EBITDA yeah 284 damn that looks the,
3: yeah they so got a lot a lot of this is non-cash cost yeah man My hope is that when all these tech companies, you know, when interest rates get low again and they really reaccelerate, like, I just hope they don't hire all these people back. Like, just like learn your lesson. Like no, no more like yoga and smoothies, just like run a profitable business. Yeah.
2: Wow. Bad, bad take on my part with the institutional. Yeah.
1: Atrocious. So inst. I mean, but to your credit, I mean, it's not like it, it didn't, you know,
3: it's but it
1: it's So
3: it's like basically their their biggest real source of revenue outside of transactions.
0: Look at that interest income, baby. quarter quarter of a bill. Thank think JPOW.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. I mean, so blockchain rewards makes sense because ETH is up in price. Yes. I would imagine that this jumps a lot more in Q2.
1: Yeah, I would guess so, too. You know, I one thing that I've been surprised about, not to distract this too much, is you know, CB ETH was one of the big liquid staking providers that enabled withdrawals post-Chapella, and they've lost market share since then. It's been, I think they're down something like 2%, and Rocket Pool's been crushing it. They had their Aura upgrade, I guess, and that's actually made a, a pretty big difference. Um, but yeah, I think Lido and Rocket Pool and, and Frax were basically the
3: that big winners and I don't really know why I mean basically just Lido but the other two or three are cool also but you know like the amount of like (laughs) I was having like 20 30 40,000 each day it's like it's cool that rocket pool added 3,000 you know two days ago but like time to pay market shares up I mean the market shares up I know it's always easy
1: you bet on the incumbent or whatever but like it is very hard to hold like 70% plus market share for a long period of time. I think it's a tough thing. I'm not advocating for Rocket Pool out here. I mean, I like Rocket Pool. I actually think the aura upgrade is super interesting. But
2: um I think yeah I think the long tail of LSTs is going to be a major narrative. I've said this before on this on this podcast, but it's gonna be LST summer in my mind. Because you've got I agree with that. You've got like five to seven, you know, very, very small at this point. Uh, LSTs that I think are going to grow relative in size, and there's going to be all this infrastructure built around like indexes for LSTs, and you're going to have like liquidity pools for LSTs. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how material they become. But my guess is that's going to be a big narrative.
0: Yeah, I mean, the liquid staking category just liquid staking just passed
3: dexes in terms of total value locked in the first right, and like. That. Now, all the LSTs are going to be in short order the ETH asset that is put into all these dexes, Like, I, that's why kind of like Frax is like an interesting model, albeit much smaller. It's like it just kind of internalizes all of the endogenous yield that exists because of the LSTs on you know, the other stable coin. I'm sure they're going to build their own DEX. And like, you can do that. I think the, the question is like, will the regulators ever like just, you know, say nope and like kind of put a stop to it? Um, but it like, These things have a ton of different avenues to capture value. And so to Michael's point, I do think there will be some of them that, you know, like as much as I hate this, there will be like a magic internet money, liquid staking token, like, you know, like frog nation rise up against the evil venture capitalists. And who knows if it ends well or not, but that will definitely be a narrative. So coin, the stock is up like three and a half.
2: Yeah, not, not a, not a ton, not a ton. I think a lot of people expected this type of an outcome. I agree. And I think they, they
1: want to hear what Brian and Crew have to say about regulation. I think it's gonna be
2: relatively large. Once again, I'm I like doubling down, I, I think that we're gonna get some text in the next two to three months. It's gonna be something that's sensible. It's gonna be bipartisan in the House, and then it's just gonna be a question of whether or not it can get through the Senate. Uh Yenor, you asked earlier about
1: the analysts not asking about base. Do you think that Coinbase wants the analysts to understand base at this point? What did I ask about the analysts not asking about base? I thought you mentioned at the beginning of this, like, that was part of the,
0: you know, oh, part oh, of the thing. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Um, do I think that Coinbase doesn't, actively doesn't want Wall Street analysts to understand base there is
1: the thing I'm, I'm asking is this isn't this isn't a Mike original thought I'm sort of borrowing this from someone who planted this idea in my brain I don't want to blow up his spot is uh is I you know the one negative potential downside of base is it might end up drawing a lot of scrutiny to what's going on in centralized sequencer land on the roll-up layer oh, oh, oh. and I'm not really sure if you want that many eyeballs
0: on that frankly um like, yeah. you know, if you, you start, start looking I don't think the, uh, sequence, yeah. starts you not know, look too I, close.
3: You know, that's the I, thing. With I think regulation, like some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be like, yeah. you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Right. It'll be black and white.
2: Some things will be white. Some things will be black. But I do think like one of the things that I think there, so if there's going to be two things that come out of this. Number one, uh, what? <laughs> number one. Uh, how do you go from being a security to a commodity? Is gonna be an interesting thing that gets defined. The other one is what does decentralized mean? Is it, you know, five nodes, three nodes, twenty one nodes, who knows?
0: I've I i do not think I can share this now. I'll tell you after we talk before we <laughs> do a lame podcast things today, but there's a new there's a new uh there's a new L two coming from like a big company and uh Hell yeah. I think I think we're gonna start seeing a lot of a lot of a lot more like base like things launch where companies are like oh damn smart idea uh let me go launch an l2 with one with a fully centralized sequencer." all right sounds good down
3: i mean if you have money transmitter licenses have at it i think coinbase i agree there's many such cases i, I mean companies
0: with money trans- yeah exactly so hmm.
1: You know, it, it is funny. Sometimes we're off in our own little crypto land doing mechanism design and stuff like that, and I've been getting pretty deep into the weeds. And, and at MEV this season, I saw this take from this guy on Twitter, Ceteris, Ceteris Parbus. I can't find the tweet. I was just looking for it, but it was like the <laughs> unpopular opinion, but MEV is going to be solved in an off-chain way. It's called going to jail. <laughs> I I kind of agree with him. It's like, yeah, dude like what's all this mechanism designed for preventing sandwiches like you go to jail that's called
3: front running that we got a law about that had so we've seen uh, a few big uh mev players stop doing it over the past couple weeks not gonna name it well the they're they're like <laughs> the lar- they were the largest block builders um and just like well-known fine names and they just stopped Um, and they've stopped doing some forms of MEV, but have continued doing others. And so like from the outside looking in, it feels like a lawyer got to them and was like, some of this is not okay to be doing. I mean, the, the other piece of news that happened this week was,
0: um, Nate from OpenSea officially charged man. Yeah. I saw that. What do you guys, what do you guys think of this?
3: I mean, he did something wrong. I think that's clear. And, like, you know, you shouldn't do that stuff in general. Um, I think just reading through the the Financial Times article, like, the sentence is, like, you know, maximum of 40 years. Like, does the punishment fit the crime? It, he made thousand yeah, dollars He hasn't been sentenced. Um, right. But, I like, I've met him once. I think Michael might have as well. He seemed like a pretty, like, nerdy but nice guy. Um and yeah, I mean, it's obviously illegal to do that, but it was such a small amount that going to jail for 40 years feels like, uh, just like a lot for that type of uh, violation. I mean, he, he got convicted of fraud, which is a felony.
2: Like even no matter what the sentence
3: is like that, that is, that's, that's tough. I think he also went to court at like probably the worst time, sentiment-wise, for crypto. Exactly, like you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt with with generally anybody.
0: Yeah, on it. I think he. I I think he goes to jail for less than a year, gets probation and a fine, but he still has a felony yeah. on his record, which sucks. Right. So. Yeah, and like, dude, and being for what it's worth, for I do year, think I do think what he did. Like, you're the the definition of insider trading is pretty clear. Like you're the head of a pro- of a product for a marketplace. There's a level of responsibility that comes with that title, and in that role, you know exactly what's going on and 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 you know what you're doing there. So, therefore, I think what he did was wrong. I think the punishment is wildly unfair, and I think both of those can be correct. And I also think that the regulators here are looking in like they're so the wrong direction here. They're like going after this 50k thing or 60 however much it was and like meanwhile there's a bunch of other stuff they should be looking
1: so oh yeah you know what i think you should just we should all, i you know no commenting on like what he actually did which whatever but i think it's just important to have some empathy like everyone knows his name now and that he did oh, this okay. and i think that's because to be honest okay like the jail will would definitely suck the felony if he works in crypto i'm not really sure that impacts his job prospects to be completely honest with you <laughs> but I, 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 you know, <laughs> but I do, <laughs> come on, Mike, Are you hire him? Yeah. Uh, wow. Fair point. He's okay. T- <laughs> I don't know. I've met the guy, but I've just, I don't know. I think it does suck to have your name just like splashed all over like that. And to be
3: the poster boy. Cause that's when oh, he he's, like the poster boy. Good. And that just sucks. Yeah. That really sucks. kind of sucks. He's gonna have a, a lot of that. time to think about, you know, just that one fucking click of the the mouse. I, I think it was more. I think it was more than one, but yeah, it, there was a few. He was a repeat offender, but yeah. I don't mean, do don't do that. This isn't just NFT land, by the way. Like there was a there's this
0: um person, this uh woman named Anne Her- Herbert, I think it was. She was a, a Nike employee for twenty five years, and she was um, I think she was flipping it. Nike's on the secondary based on like because she had access to the memos that the CEO was going to send out. I'm probably getting the story really wrong, but she got fired, and I think she might pay some time. Like that's illegal, and she was sent- selling them on uh, on StockX or something like that.
2: If it feels like it's an unfair advantage, don't do it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, always. Speaking of unfair advantages, BlockWorks launched GovHub this week, which is the most powerful governance platform in crypto. So if you want unfair advantage in governance, if you own governance tokens, you should subscribe to BlockWorks Research.
3: (laughs) Always be selling. So are you guys just going to be like massive delegates? Yeah. We're going to be delegates, yeah. Wow. Okay.
0: We got some tokens we might delegate to you. Every crypto venture firm cannot be a delegate. Cannot be active in governance right now. Um, and uh, we got you.
1: There's a certain amount of fit. I mean, our analysts they only check. They only like keep up to date with like three, three, three protocols at a time. Like they are so in the weeds with this stuff.
3: Like they're they're the ones that you'd want to delegate to. So, don't govern too hard you and nate might be seeing each other at some point oh boy, oh, boy. all right just uh
1: just to end this on a, a more uplifting note like a funny story of the week i don't know if you saw that uh Pornhub pulled out of utah do you guys see this
3: oh i i saw the headline because of the kyc stuff so
0: Pornhub. why do you think vance, why do you think vance just left utah the guy was there for like six weeks. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> show us your tabs <laughs> show us the tabs all right everyone hope you have a good uh good rest of your week. Good Friday and uh, see you guys next week.